Welcome back to Wildcats Podcast with Wildcats Conservation Alliance. I'm Amy Van Gelder and if you've come here looking to hear more about tigers from experts working to save this iconic species, then you're in the right place. Each month we touch upon a different subject concerning the conservation of majestic yet increasingly vulnerable tigers who still roam Asia's remaining wild spaces. In this episode, we'll be discussing how the rapid development of transport infrastructure is a major threat to endangered species worldwide. The construction and expansion of roads and railways fragment wild spaces and have both direct and indirect impacts on ecosystem integrity and the persistence of species, especially in areas of high biodiversity value. The length of legally sanctioned roads alone has increased by 12 million kilometres worldwide since the year 2000, with a further 25 million kilometres expected to be developed globally by 2050. That is enough to circle the planet more than 600 times. Roughly 90% of these new roads will be built in developing nations, frequently in tropical and subtropical regions with high biodiversity and environmental value. For instance, China's planned road development project, the Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI, is expected to span 70 nations, extending across most of Asia to Europe and Africa, penetrating many remote regions and key ecosystems. Indonesia also plans to invest 2.6 billion US dollars in six massive economic corridors that will cut through the country, including the island of Sumatra, which is the last place where the island tiger subspecies still exists in the wild. Currently, it is known that 134,000 kilometres of roads already exist within tiger habitats and 24,000 kilometres of new roads will be built by 2050 within these tiger territories. So in this episode of Wildcats podcast, we are speaking with two of the authors from a recent paper which has forecasted the effects of transport infrastructure on endangered tigers. Join us as we discuss the question in a world where we should be building ecological corridors, are these economic corridors justifiable? Our first guest is Dr Neil Carter, an Associate Professor from the School of Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan. Neil's research focuses on the complex dynamics that characterise interactions between wildlife and people with a particular emphasis on large carnivores. As lead author on the research paper, I began by asking Neil if transport infrastructure development impacts tigers, and if so, how? That's an excellent question, and it's um, it's a big one. And basically, the answer is uh, severely and massively. So roads um, are growing all over Asia. Frankly, they're growing all over the world, but they're really booming in areas that have very high biodiversity. And a lot of these same places that have high biodiversity also are important ranges for tigers, critically endangered animal spanning 13 countries. What a lot of people don't know is that the majority of the tigers range is actually outside strictly protected areas. And so these are areas that are have much less stringent regulations on road construction, you know, whether or not it avoids biodiversity, avoids habitats the kinds of disturbances associated with roads. And so you're gonna likely see tigers exposed and other biodiversity that they are umbrella species for exposed to this kind of growing expanding network of roads that are now encroaching into these habitats. But what are the actual impacts? And they're myriad. So the first one that many of us are probably aware of and know of is of course, mortality, direct mortality 
from collisions with vehicles. So animals walk along roads, um, it's dawn or dusk, it's hard for cars to see them, it's hard for the animals to see the cars, they get hit. Um, so this is happening not just for tigers, which is of course extremely concerning because tigers are uh, uh, low density species, they have a long reproductive cycle. Um, so you know, anytime an animal is killed by you know, human related reasons, that can really impact their populations. But it also cascades down to the other species that are in these habitats, not only to tigers and their prey, which are really prone to running into um, cars, but other species that are that are there. So the species richness is going to be heavily degraded basically by roads because of vehicle collisions. So that's that's first and foremost, and we know that's a huge problem. Um, the second big way that, that roads are impacting uh, biodiversity and ecosystem dynamics and tigers specifically is through their barrier to connectivity, the fragmentation of habitats. And this is one of the more, I think, nefarious ways that roads impact ecosystems, because if you were to sit back and look at a satellite image, you know, roads through these really large intact forests could seem like they have a small footprint on the landscape, but their impact in terms of fragmentation is disproportionately large. So what we're often finding is that animals can sense that roads are there because of the huge disturbance that they put out. So any of us that have ever come out of a wilderness area and you come across a big road, you start hearing the horns, you see all the lights from the headlights, you get the, the smell of, of carbon and emissions coming from those, from those roads. Um, so this is a huge amount of disturbance that impacts where the animals go, where, where they decide to hunt, how they decide to find mates. And so there's all kinds of impacts on the behavior and the movements and the population dynamics because of this barrier. But even more concerning is what happens at a large landscape scale from roads. When we think about the connectivity of populations, not only of tigers, but other species in these biodiverse regions, we know that what can happen from roads is that because animals don't want to cross them because of that disturbance, that their populations are becoming isolated from each other. And this is really important for animals that have very small populations because they need to have gene flow in order to connect these populations into a larger meta population and ensure their long-term viability. So if that becomes broken because of roads, which we're seeing evidence of, then those populations become increasingly exposed to extinction risk because they can't, they can't communicate with each other. They can't send animals over, they can't find mates. Um, and that's really concerning. Um, other impacts that, that often aren't considered but are still really important are what's called the secondary impacts. So when roads are built, you often have associated with it a lot of human settlement growth because of course people are gonna wanna live closer to roads because those are nice uh, corridors for them to, to move on and move their goods on. So when roads are built, you also see this um, secondary impact of habitat degradation associated with more people moving in and settling and colonizing, what have you. Um, so that's, that's an additional impact on habitats that are already critically small and isolated. Um, and, Another impact that's associated with that is what happens to environmental flow. So I'm talking about tigers and their prey. I think that there is growing evidence that roads are actually attracting or enhancing human wildlife and human tiger conflict. In part, this is through the fact that um, along roads, when trees are cut to make way for them, there's a lot of growth of grasses and forbs, and those are really um, highly uh, nutrient forage for herbivorous um, ungulate species, and so deer and 
born, et cetera, will come to those areas and feed. And so not only do those animals now have a higher exposure to collision with vehicles because they're right along the roadways, but they're also a magnet for tigers that are looking for their prey and are all getting pulled towards these roads and causing conflicts with vehicles, but also pulling tigers into areas that are closer to the interface of human settlements um, and human agricultural areas and potentially increasing the chances that tigers will kill livestock or encounter people and to come into conflict. So this, this intersection between road infrastructure growth and potential changes to human tiger conflicts, I think is a, is a very important and worthwhile area of research. But broadly, when we start to think about the movements of water uh, pollinators and seeds, um, all of that is negatively impacted by, by roads if they aren't mitigated and if these consequences aren't taken into account. So we might have flooding being moved into one area, landslides being um, increasingly severe because of road construction, um, and, and pollution runoff is a, a huge problem that uh, is often unaddressed because we're not thinking about what happens with all the chemicals and the effluent that stays on roads and gets run off by the monsoon and moved into these um, gullies and drainages, and that can impact vegetation growth and biodiversity. So the, the list goes on and on, but there's, you know, there's these collisions, there's mortality, there's landscape connectivity, fragmentation, and then broader biodiversity and ecosystem impacts. Yeah, so obviously, as you just said, it's a huge list of really horrible impacts for not just tigers, but also the other species they share their landscape with. But obviously, improved transportation networks can provide important benefits to human societies. And um, so should we deny these benefits to developing countries based on kind of that list of, of impacts that you've just stated? Or are there ways that we can kind of mitigate it? That's an excellent question. And no, I don't think that we should deny these important benefits to developing countries, places like Nepal and otherwise where there's important tires and other biodiversity. The benefits are important to these human societies. And we have really good demonstration of that a few years ago from the earthquake in Nepal, where some of the isolated communities could not get access to life-saving services, healthcare, because um, those services could not reach them. There weren't sufficient road infrastructure for those places to get there. And a lot of lives were lost because of that. So that's, you know, a case example of, of, a, of where having a really good road network could have really helped it save lives. But there's many other reasons, of course, that we're building roads. I mean, it, it facilitates economic development. So getting goods to people and getting the goods from those communities to other markets, expanding market access, that's hugely important for sustaining human livelihoods. It also is important for improving human welfare, as I noted before about getting access to healthcare and services. People that are in these isolated communities, if they need to get to a healthcare post or a hospital, being able to get on a good road and get there in time is a life-saving service. Um, and then of course, integrating communities. I mean, a lot of people don't always live right in the same village. They might move to nearby villages or move to the city. So having road networks that can connect those communities and, and societies is vitally important. We're a social animal. We like to, to communicate and see each other and, and you know see our families and friends. And so that's going to be a really important way to, to make those connections. Um, but it's also important to consider that it's not just a trade-off between you know benefits for people versus negative impacts to biodiversity and tigers. There are negatives that are associated with road building for human communities. Um, oftentimes those aren't elevated, but they're quite significant. And I think there are things to, to consider as we start to think about the balance of the benefits and costs. So one really big one is that 
building these things are not cheap. Building really good road and rail infrastructure is actually really, really expensive. And oftentimes it's putting a lot of these um, lower income countries in debt to other countries. And that's that could be problematic for those countries in terms of their sovereignty. Um, there's also just long-term road maintenance that's gonna have to occur. And in places that have really high monsoons where rainfall is extremely severe, those maintenance costs are routine, they're chronic, and they can be really, really high. So again, those are the kinds of long-term costs, economic costs that oftentimes aren't included into the um, assessment of what it's gonna cost to build a road and, and construct it. Um, another really important negative is that sometimes you can have not only the increase in legal services and goods, but you can also have an increase in illegal or illicit activities along roads. Um, so you can have drug smuggling, you can have other kinds of illicit activities that are going to increase across borders because there's greater access. And this actually relates back to our question about impacts on biodiversity. Ultimately, roads are expanding access for communities to uh, natural resources. And sometimes that can increase timber extraction. So, you know, degrading habitats and forests. It can also increase access for poachers who are trying to illegally ha harvest and hunt animals. Um, that gives them a way to get into these forests and give them access to places that they previously would have, would have been totally inaccessible. Um, and so now you can see this kind of encroachment of, of activities that could also be illicit or illegal. So lots of kind of things to balance where you're opening up areas now to the positives, but you're also opening them to things like pathogens, you're opening them to uh, illegal activities. So a lot of positives, but also a lot of negatives associated with roads. Yeah, definitely. And I think financiers often streamline the environmental and social guidelines to reduce paperwork and, and obviously increase the speed of the development, especially in these developing countries, which can often mean that, yeah, not only are there the environmental impacts, but local people aren't really consulted on what's going to happen with their land and how it would affect them. With that in mind, can there ever be tiger friendly transportation development? Yes. So that's kind of the, the important message, right? That it isn't a lose-lose. There are opportunities to have that important infrastructure and enhance those benefits for human societies, but do it in ways that minimize or, or mitigate the negative impacts to tigers and other biodiversity. And for me, what's a helpful framework to think about this is uh, the work that's been done on smart green infrastructure, where sustainable uh, road development or, or uh, transportation infrastructure development is prioritized. And thinking about the whole life cycle of infrastructure building from planning, design, construction, through to operation and maintenance. At all of those stages, there's a series of things that can be done to prioritize sustainable development and tiger-friendly uh, methods of road building and construction. So for one thing, when you think about it from the very beginning, we should have obvious what's called no-go zones. Places basically where we're just not ever going to build roads or railways because they're just these areas, these forests, these habitats are just too important for biodiversity or tigers. Um, and so we need to identify those. We need to have a sense of are these breeding source sites where we simply can't 
um, allow for disturbance and impacts from roads to occur. So we need to identify those no-go zones early on, and that could be part of that early planning. Um, thinking about how to realign roads and railways so that we avoid those areas, um, avoid priority corridors, dispersal corridors, but also thinking about the future. We know that climate change is impacting where species and ecosystem flows are going. And so if we can anticipate where these species will shift and move under climate change, we can also align roads and railways to account for that and give them the access to climate refuges and dispersal corridors for them to move around there. Um, the other important thing, and, and you alluded to this earlier, is the role of environmental impact assessment. So as you move from design stage and you go to planning, and planners are trying to understand what are the impacts on the ground. Um, this is where a lot of the um, ecologists and social scientists can have an important role in informing predictive modeling that can go into these environmental impact assessments and give us an idea of what are the actual current and future uh, forecasted impacts on tigers and other biodiversities from these different planning um, development projects. And you know, currently what we do is we tend to look at what's happening right then on the ground with static monitoring methods, but we can use predictive models to give us, you know, future forward ideas and, and make those be, uh, mitigate the impacts much less. But once we have roads on the ground, there's also a lot of things that we can and should do. And one of the things we're seeing that's really, really important is restricting and regulating traffic volumes and traffic speeds. Um, this is really important for reducing the, the disturbance from traffic on roads. Animals are really sensitive to that. They're, they're seeing these disturbance. If it's unpredictable, if some cars are honking, they're moving faster or slower, that's a higher influence uh, or disturbance to them than predictable uh, patterns of traffic. And so, you know, relatively simple things, speed limits, enforcing those speed limits, speed bumps, signage that there are tigers or other critical um, and critically endangered species nearby, all of those can help to regulate traffic volume. Even thinking about regulating traffic volume at night, these are these are periods of time that are really, really important for wildlife, increasingly so, because when there's high disturbance, they're moving towards the nighttime to be more active. And so that area, that period of time is becoming like a refuge for them. And if we have a lot of traffic at night, when people can't see these animals as well, you're gonna have a higher likelihood of not only disturbance, but also collisions and mortality for these animals at night. So that's one, those are a series of simple things we can do to kind of restrict that. Um, another really important way to mitigate impacts is road um, overpasses or underpasses, basically crossing structures. In some cases, roads are already there or they're gonna be expanded or they're gonna be um, improved. So that those are important opportunities to put these crossing structures in because then we can enhance that connectivity that I alluded to before, which is so vitally important because once the road is there or the railroad is there, you could have a permanent barrier for good. And so those crossing structures can provide an opportunity for, for species and the populations to connect and to have that, that gene flow. But it's important to note that not every crossing structure is the same. And so sometimes people think that, you know, maybe just a culvert um, where it's really dark and it's, you know, there's, the vegetation is really dense. That's going to be something that maybe animals won't use at all because they might see that as threatening or a disturbance. And so there's also work that can be done on the architecture of those crossing structures. What works, what doesn't work? How do animals perceive these structures as they walk up to them? And how do we facilitate them so they can go through there? And every animal is gonna be different. A predator like tigers is gonna have a different perceptual landscape than 
uh, a prey species, an herbivore, like a chital or spotted deer, that's looking for a different set of risks and benefits when it's crossing those, those roads. So thinking about those and getting more insights on those is going to be important for building those crossing structures. And then finally, going back to something I mentioned before in terms of the secondary impacts of roads, which include settlement growth and, and sometimes um, clearing of forests in order to, to build markets or, or support these settlements. With road planning, there should also be areas that we have to put in really clear spatial zoning regulations as well that say these areas are so critically important for biodiversity and tigers that we cannot allow for uh, forest clearing or settlement growth around them. And so we, we need to just keep it to the footprint of the road or the railroad and nothing else around that. So there's basically to answer your question in short, yes, there is ways that we can mitigate across the whole life cycle of transportation project development that can mitigate impacts on tigers and, and, and theoretically create tiger-friendly infrastructure. Basically, we have to think about how do we minimize road growth at a very broad scale? Do we absolutely need to have new roads or are the existing road networks sufficient? Obviously, given the rapid growth of planned road infrastructure, so you've got the road being developed in Nepal at the moment and also China's BRI, and these are all happening in a lot of the tiger landscapes within Asia. What do you think the biggest priority is for their protection out of some of the things you've spoken about already? Yeah, that's excellent. So there's, I think, probably a handful of fairly high priorities. I don't know that I have exactly just one top priority. There's a series of things that I think at a high level can and should be done to really restrict and mitigate these impacts um, across tiger range countries. The first is to avoid the first cut. The road infrastructure and railway planning is an inexorable process, basically. Once that first cut happens, it's going to be paved. The investment's already there. The planning's already there. They're they're building the road. They're building the railroad. And, and that's going to have that long-lasting, almost permanent impact. And so absolutely, very, very, very early on in the planning stage, avoiding that and getting the right people in the room to talk about the impacts and understand why we need to avoid the first cut is obviously going to be a, a top priority. But another really big priority is the role and, and um, design of environmental impact assessments. This is one of these tools that globally everyone understands is how we assess impacts of infrastructure projects. But like anything, they can corners can be cut or they may not be as comprehensive as they should. And there's lots of really great recommendations on how to make those environmental impact assessments more um, comprehensive and strategic. And so one of the things that can be done, of course, is to engage those local communities. There's very little engagement of local communities about what are the priorities for them? Do they want those impacts on their communities or on the biodiversity? And what are some of the things that they're thinking about in order to avoid um, you know, having them be increasingly marginalized or being resettled or being displaced by roads. Um, and so there's ways that those impact assessments can engage those um, communities, but also to think about those secondary impacts, thinking about, well, once a road is built, not just the first level of, of collisions and, and mortality, but also what's the likelihood of having increased poaching, increased habitat degradation, increased settlement growth, and providing some predictive spatial forecasts can enhance those imp environmental impact assessments. But both of those are putting a lot of the burden on regions or countries or even the kind of municipalities. But 
we also should really step back and think about who are investing and financing these projects. And if we're talking about national and international banks or countries like China or the USA, where they're financing huge development infrastructure growth um, in other countries, we need to elevate the priority of biodiversity and sustainable development in those financing and investment programs and initiatives so that as they're building those out and putting out those initiatives, um, those countries are also going to look at the impacts on biodiversity on the same level as the potential benefits to societies. And ultimately, all of that is in, in service to mainstream this idea of smart green infrastructure or tiger-friendly infrastructure, not only into these investment um, initiatives, but even into national level conservation plans. So there's all kinds of national transboundary international conservation plans for tigers and other critically endangered species. There are opportunities to mainstream a lot of these mitigation techniques, uh, smart green infrastructure into those national level plans and have those be elevated um, as being a high priority. Of a lot of what the recommendations you've given are based on your research and the research of other people within linear infrastructure. And there's a lot of onus, I think, on the finances and the government to use this research to make really important decisions. But what further research do you think is needed for us to successfully develop transport infrastructure without harming tiger populations? There's so much more that we need to learn that we need to know. And this is, of course, coming from a researcher. So there's always a lot more to learn. But I, the, the thing that helps me to think about is from the individual animal to their population. And, you know, on, on the individual level, we know very, very little about how tigers respond to these disturbance regimes uh, on roads. What what happens when they see um, um, night lights from traffic or hear traffic? Um, how do they respond? How do they respond to the different crossing structures? As I alluded to earlier, you know, those can be really important in terms of mitigating impact. So the individual animal and its fitness are areas that we should be looking at. How well do they hunt? Are they eating all of the animal when they do kill it? Or are they disturbed from the kill and leave it half eaten and basically decreasing their fitness? How does it impact their mating likelihood? Because, you know, they might be looking for mates. They might be dispersing from areas to go look for, for mating opportunities and new territories, but that could all be negatively influenced by the presence of, of roads and railways. And we don't really know how, how those behaviors and movements are influenced. And then more broadly, when we think about this metapopulation structure and genetic structure of populations, we know very little and there's opportunities to, to learn a lot more about how the barriers from roads, what are the factors that influence the barrier effects and how does that cascade onto metapopulation dynamics, long-term population dynamics and the genetic uh, structure of these populations so that we can ensure they have high genetic diversity, high phenotypic diversity, and are therefore more likely to be able to adapt and respond to environmental changes and climate changes more readily than if they've got isolated inbred populations because of these road networks. Still a lot more that we can learn there. And then of course, tigers are an apex predator. So everything that happens to tigers, they're affecting a lot of the levels down in the food web and the food bed below them is impacting them. And so we also need a lot of uh, research to understand the cascading influences on different trophic levels from roads and railways on vegetation, on flows of pollinators, 
and on flows of herbivorous prey for tigers. So it's all connected. And we really don't know how those connections and interactions are being modified or disrupted or broken by you know these networks. Another thing I think is important for future research is understanding the relationship between design principles of the road networks and the railways and their impacts on animal behavior and populations. So there's some really interesting results coming out about how railways are designed and the impacts on animals because of how people see animals and how people see people and those uh, vehicles on the rails or on the road. So for example, there's work being done to understand how uh, track curvature for railways has a really big impact on vehicle, or I should say train collisions with animals, because if you have too high a curvature, the animals can't see the trains coming very well. And of course, the train operators can't see the animals with enough time to slow down. And so there's a lot of, I think, low hanging fruit where we can start to understand how do animals and people perceive the landscapes and, and design uh, railways and design roads in ways so that we can enhance the opportunities for animals and people to see each other. And so whether it's creating a greater right-of-way on the sides of roads, and so if you, if you kind of cut back some of the vegetation a little bit, and so that animals have a little bit of time as they start to approach a road, they can see vehicles coming. These are really simple, straightforward things that can reduce those, those collisions and mortalities. Um, but we still don't know a whole lot about what those exact design principles are, and do they vary by ecosystem? Maybe what, what works in um, Canada may or may not work in the tropical forests um, in South and Southeast Asia. And so there's there's a lot that we need to learn about those design principles. Um, how ex exchangeable or generalizable are they? Or are some of them very context specific? Um, another important area of research that has to do with what do we do with roads, existing roads and tiger landscapes that may no longer be useful or effective or, uh, or connect uh, communities together? What do we do with those? Well, is there an opportunity to decommission those existing roads from tiger landscapes? And if so, how best to do that? How do we prioritize where to decommission them? What kinds of things do you do to decommission them in order to, to effectively restore habitats in those areas? Because so far we've talked about cases where road and railway infrastructure is permanent. And in many cases it virtually is, but there are situations where roads and railways are just no longer used and we should be able to go to those places quickly and effectively and decommission them and, and able to bring those landscapes back for tigers. So yeah, lots of things that we should be continuing to, to build our knowledge base on so that we can mitigate those impacts and develop tiger-friendly infrastructure. A big thank you to our first guest there, Dr. Neil Carter. While improved transportation networks do facilitate economic development, allow better access to education, improve social integration between communities, and enable swift access to life-saving medical treatments, they can also negatively impact the communities they serve. Roads and railways also clearly bring direct and indirect negative impacts to tigers, including collisions, habitat fragmentation, pollution, inbreeding, depression, human settlement growth, increased human wildlife conflict, illegal natural resource extraction and forest fires, to name just a few. But as Neil described, it doesn't have to be this way. There are ways of enhancing the benefits of infrastructure development for human societies, but to do so in a way that mitigates the negatives to tigers and wider 
biodiversity. This can include no-go zones, decommissioning roads and railways, avoiding priority areas, restricting and regulating traffic volumes and speeds, creating crossing structures to enhance connectivity and reducing track curvature within tiger habitats. One of the big takeaways from Neil is predictive models must be used to develop a more comprehensive social and environmental impact assessment for new transport infrastructure projects early in the planning phase. By forecasting negative impacts, we can avoid or at least mitigate for them. Next up, we were joined by Dr. Narendra Pradhan, the Programme Coordinator at the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the IUCN in Nepal. Narendra and Neil recently co-authored a paper where they developed a model to forecast the effects of transport infrastructure on an important tiger population in Nepal's Chitwan National Park, a global diversity hotspot and UNESCO World Heritage Site. Narendra sat down with me to give a bit more insight into the impacts of transport infrastructure development in Nepal and Chitwan National Park, a key tiger habitat in Asia. When you talk about Chitwan National Park, it's a, a tiger landscape unit between Valmiki Tiger Reserve and the Persia Wildlife Reserve. Chitwan is a source population for these two protected area. When uh, we did an authentic uh, systematic tiger survey in 2009, we come up with 121 tigers. There are a few places where only 100 plus tiger exist. Chitun National Park is one of that. So that's why a very high priority landscape. We have spoken with Neil about the extensive development of transportation networks across Asia. Is Nepal also seeing this trend? Of course, yes, of course. You know, I'm just talking with the road, road department. And they came up with, in by 2043, they targeted 33,000 kilometers of national and provincial highway, and 2,200 kilometers of railways, and 3,000 kilometers of fast track road by 2043. Imagine, that's the target. But I really doubt how much we achieve, but that's the target. Most of the depot is hilly area, right? And the tiger habitat is low land with a heavily populated area. So definitely this uh, target, this road network target will definitely destroy the remaining tiger population habitat massively. In 2016, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, so IUCN, who you work for, identified transport infrastructure as a major threat to the park's outstanding universal value. Can you tell us a bit more about the development of transportation networks around Chitwan and, and what impact that might have? You're right, in 2016, uh, even the UNESCO World Heritage Site, they did an evaluation of the existing road network inside the Chitong. The government or local people are trying to upgrade that road. That's the plan. And the other one plan is there is a construction of Bhagai Bhandara Road. It's not constructed, but there is a plan of that road construction also. And beside that, there is a a plan of upgrading a postal, postal road is going on also. And the uh, most uh, threatening one is, you know, one of uh, East-West Highway expansion. The ADV is working on that. They, they, they are making up a four-lane of East-West Highway. And beside that, the railways are also coming, um, dissecting the Brindavan. So definitely, this will cross the tiger habitat, either in National Park or in Papua area. So this is a very, very big threat. And, you know, in 
In 2017, IUCN, with, with the help of Neil, also, we did a small short uh, study also. We used a camera trap and we, you know, actually categorized two road systems around the Chitwan National Park. Category one is a highway where there, there is more than uh, 5,000 vehicles move per day. And another category is small public road where about uh, 500 vehicles move per day. And other category is the forest road, where not more than 30 vehicles per day. So we set the camera there and we try to analyze how tiger responds to that road system. And there are clear indications that tiger avoid the highway and tiger avoid the, the small public road. The both category one and category two. We have seen that tiger several times trying to cross uh, the, the highway, but they could not. And, and they really need to look for the chance to cross the highway because the other side of highway is also the tiger habitat. We found some tiger in that or that portion also. So definitely, I'm talking about the existing condition highway. Now you imagine if these roads are upgraded, if these roads are you know improved instead of two lane, making six lane or four lane, definitely the, the effect will be very intense. So. That was a previous piece of research you did. And the one that you've done with Neil produced a predictive model considering the existing roads around Chitwan and the proposed railway to forecast the impact on tigers. Can you talk us through some of the results that you found? The, the, the model predicted that the existing road would kill 46 tigers over 20 years. That will reduce 39% of the tiger base population. Then the, adding a, another highway and adding a, another you know, railways that also kill a lot more uh, the tiger. So railway directly kill 10 more tigers. But uh, you know, we really need to keep in mind that this is a model-based result. But uh, it is not necessary that this result will happen in future also. We, we will have a lot of management things we can do that, can improve that. So. This result, I would say that is uh, one kind of a alarm to the management that we really need to think. If nothing will happen, if this thing is going to continue, then our tiger population is in trade. But, uh, but if management can improve, it can do some effort, then we may not get the same result. And then so based off this recent research and, and your previous research with the IUCN, would you classify tigers as a road sensitive species then? Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I will tell you the one story. Now we are doing another research right now. We call up the tiger and we, we are looking at their movement and response toward the road. And, uh, and we clearly found the result that so before the lockdown, the tigers tried to cross roads so many times. And he could not. But what happened during the COVID lockdown? So there's no movement. Then first time the tiger crossed the highway, and he frequently crossed that highway. Imagine this road and vehicle movement is creating a barrier, segregating the highway population. So with this results, preliminary result, and with the previous result, we can say 100% it's a tiger. It's very sensitive. This is obviously a really important thing for Nepal to be studying especially because you know you've recently announced some amazing tiger news which is being the only tiger range state to more than double the tiger numbers in the last 12 years since the last year of the tiger which is obviously amazing and an incredible result but all that progress I think 
from what you've been saying, could be at risk from future development plans. And as signatories on the Convention of Biological Diversity, all Tiger Range countries have legally binding responsibilities to create legislation that minimises harm to threatened species, which does also include tigers. So what recommendations to decision makers in Nepal who are responsible for transportation development would you kind of make with that in mind? Yeah, you know, you know, the good thing is that we, we do have a tiger conservation action plan. Uh, the present one is just fine. Now uh, we are revising that tiger conservation action plan also. Besides that, you know, government just uh, approved this wildlife friendly infrastructure construction guideline. And uh, one good thing is now, before it was not happening, now discussion among engineers and the conservationists or biologists have been begun. Because I also got a chance to discuss so many time with the, the road department engineers while they are designing their infrastructure. They come up with several underpass, overpass, waterfalls, railways crossing also. Discussion is going on. That is a good news that we start discussing. And we have this infrastructure process guideline, guideline also. Things are moving on. But the important thing is how effectively we implement those uh, guidelines, uh, regulation, all those sort of things. Because you know that the engineers, they always want to optimize the cost. So this kind of discussion is going on. So if the, I would very appreciate that the, the infrastructure and development side now, they realize the values of uh, conservation also. Uh, things are happening, but it's not enough. We really need to work together. I still need to see how these guidelines and how these uh, action plans will be implemented. But one more uh, important thing is, you know, the number is increasing right now. But what about the conflict, human tiger conflict is all shaping. So we really need to uh, think on that line also. So, of course, it will happen. But other thing is, you know, the time span, time, time, time span for the construction. It will, it's not a one year, two year. When you talk about the, the road construction, it go for four years, five years, six years, and that will really, you know, affect the tiger movement, tiger population, even a tiger behavior. We really need to worry for that also, and we need to sit together there. Yeah. We need development also, and we need tiger also. So we just need to come up with win-win situations. A big thank you to Narendra there for taking the time to speak to us about the important issue of transportation development in one of the most key tiger landscapes in Asia. We heard how the government of Nepal plans to add thousands of kilometres of transport infrastructure by 2030, including the construction of highways and railways across the country. Many of these are expected to cut through narrow forest tracks in the tiger-occupied lowlands, which could seriously jeopardise the gradual recovery of tigers in Nepal. Given that roads will be a pervasive challenge to tiger recovery in the future across Asia, decision makers must make sustainable road development a top priority. We have to better mitigate existing roads and develop greener road designs for the next century of infrastructure development if we have any hope of ensuring the future of the remaining 5,000 wild tigers in Asia. And that brings this episode to a close. Thank you all for listening and look out for our next episode where I'll be joined by some more special guests. Please do subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and leave a review for the show. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time.